This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at a place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, just say, The Lord needs it. And so those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, the people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and in glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were to be silent, the very stones would shout out. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that as my text this morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1044. 1044, Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, and beginning at verse 28. I've titled my talk this morning, Palm Sunday, a happy occasion, but not for everyone. <laughs> Palm Sunday, a happy occasion, but not for everyone. You may recall on the day that Jesus was baptized that God the Father very famously said of Jesus, this is my beloved Son and whom I'm well pleased. Or on another occasion, in the sixth chapter of John, when multitudes of people were leaving Jesus because he had said some things that um, displeased them. And as they were all going away, he turned to the twelve and he said, and will you be leaving too? And Peter replied famously, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. But not everyone feels that way about Jesus, which is true today, even as it was true in Jesus' day, and which was true even on a day as happy and triumphant as the first Palm Sunday. Indeed, on that first Palm Sunday, some were happy with Jesus, and others were not. Luke tells us, beginning at verse 28, And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, leading the group, going up to Jerusalem. Indeed, Jesus uh, had been making his way from the Galilee in the north, where he uh, was a native. Uh, and he was making his way to Jerusalem in the south. 
And all along the way, Luke tells us that he was teaching, he was teaching, he was teaching, he was teaching. Sometimes seated in a stationary location, but also while he's walking in sort of a peripatetic style, teaching while he was walking. But relative to this teaching, what was he teaching? Well, here's an example of it. In the 18th chapter of Luke and beginning at verse 31, it says that he told the disciples, and see, we're going up to Jerusalem. Woo! Well, that'll be great, Lord. Hold on a second. We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man, referring to himself, by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. That being what he was going to experience in Jerusalem, it seems almost sort of a strange thing, how he seemed almost eager. He's, he's leading the group. And it says, going up to Jerusalem. In fact, this, at this, in this 19th chapter, at the first part of the chapter, he's in Jericho. Jericho is 850 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. And he's, he's going from Jericho to Jerusalem. In fact, I have been on that road in a bus. And you should have heard, heard the sound of that bus. Not only, is it, not only is it a high elevation from Jericho to Jerusalem, but a very steep climb on the road. But Luke says, as, as Jesus drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, these are two villages that were located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is just east across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. And so if you were in Jerusalem, in fact, if you were in Jerusalem at, in the days of Jesus and standing out in the temple courts, you could look to the east and you could see uh, the, the Mount of Olives. And on the eastern slope, which could not be seen, you would, could only see the western slope from from Jerusalem, on the eastern slope were these two towns, Bethany and Bethphage. And in that order, on this road that led from Jericho to Jerusalem. And Luke says, and Jesus drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, there on the eastern slope. And so Luke says uh, that, that he drew near to these two little towns. And then he says, and he sent two of his disciples, unnamed, we don't know who they were, he sent two of his disciples and he said, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Now, donkeys were beat burden, beat beasts of burden in that day, but here was a colt, a young donkey who had never been ridden that is just about to go on his or her maiden voyage <laughs> to carry God come in human flesh from Bethphage to Jerusalem. Indeed, if they came to Bethany, which they did as you go along the road, coming to Bethany and Bethphage, they would have come to Bethany, and the, the town ahead would be Bethphage, which means house of figs. And so Jesus sends uh, these two disciples, 
And then verse 30, he says, as he says, go into the village of, in front of you, where upon entering you will find this colt on which no one has ever sat. And he says, and untie the colt and bring it here. And then Jesus adds, and if anyone says to you, why are you untying the colt? Which is something I would ask, especially if the colt belonged to me. <laughs> why are you untying the colt? Just say, the Lord has need of it. And so Luke says that those who were sent went away and they found it just as Jesus had told them. It's one more example of Jesus seeing things and knowing things that would have otherwise been physically impossible. There's many examples of that uh, in the New Testament and here is one of them. And so they went and they found it just as Jesus told them. Verse 33, and as they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? And they said, as they had been instructed, the Lord has need of it. And Luke says, and so that they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their outer garments up upon the colt, making a sort of a, of a saddle. And uh, seemingly they helped Jesus get onto the colt. And Luke says, verse 36, and as Jesus rode along, the disciples and those who had been following Jesus spread their cloaks on, on the road. They know what's going on, by the way. They know something about Jesus, and they know the symbolism of what they're, what they're seeing. And so they spread their garments, their outer garments. Each day would have had an undergarment, and then the outer garment, what we would oftentimes refer to as a cloak. They were taking off their cloaks, and they were laying it in the way on the road as sort of a royal red carpet treatment. And all of this was happening, and they knew it, and Jesus did too, uh, as a fulfillment of the ancient messianic prophecy from Zechariah 9 and verse 9, where we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. What a happy occasion! Rejoice! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. To the ancients, a donkey, and certainly a, a donkey colt, was a symbol of peace. Indeed, if Jesus were a king of violence and he were coming to conquer and oppress the people of Jerusalem, he would have been riding a steed, a, a horse, an animal of war, and with an army with him. But Jesus is a king of peace. And so he comes to Jerusalem on a donkey colt, and not with an army, but with a band of happy disciples, happy worshipers. <laughs> Indeed, Luke says in verse 37, and as Jesus was drawing near to Jerusalem, coming over up the left, up the eastern slope, cresting the Mount of Olives, and now down the western slope, as he says in verse 37, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. And again, notice all of this symbolism and all of this noise. And people not so very far away, because all of these things might sound like they're far away. When we talk about the Kidron Valley, you know, he's like, oh my gosh. The Kidron Valley, you could walk across it in a matter of 60 seconds. <laughs> but it is between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. 
and the people on the temple courts could look up and they see, and they see, now Luke doesn't mention the, the branches and so on, and John is the only one that mentions palms, but all the other synoptics mention that there was all of this waving about and this singing, and someone who looks like, isn't that the, isn't that the teacher from Galilee? And he's on a, a, a donkey. And maybe people stop what they were doing on the, on the courts there and watching this coming down. Jerusalem, as I mentioned earlier, was 2,500 feet above sea level. The Mount of Olives is 2,600 feet above sea level. And so 100 feet above Jerusalem, and there they come. And Luke says, and the whole multitude of Jesus' disciples began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice, shouting at the top of their lungs for all of the mighty works, for all of the works of power that they had seen him do. Indeed, the last miracle that Luke records for us in Luke 19 is Jesus at Jericho and his healing of the blind man. He asked the blind man, you remember the blind man was making all of this noise, the people said, shush, 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 shush. And he said, I will not shush. <laughs> Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, tell him to come. Go get him and bring him here. And he dropped his cloak and he went to go see Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> and the man said, Lord, that I might see my sight. And it doesn't even say that Jesus touched him or did any of these other things that Jesus usually does. He just said to the man, your faith has made you whole. And he received his sight. Or in Bethany, where they just were. Not so very long ago, Jesus raised one of the residents from the dead, a man called Lazarus, whose two sisters, Mary and Martha, lived there in Bethany. And that was, oh, such the buzz there for weeks, and now Jesus is coming through again. It's not hard to imagine that they had joined into the procession. And so Luke says that, the whole multitude of Jesus' disciples began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty deeds that, he had, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King! <laughs> Blessed are you, Lord! <laughs> Blessed are you! You are our Messiah, our anointed one, our Melech, our King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. There is peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Indeed, those who are with Jesus recognize who he is. They know the ancient prophecy. They know all about all the things that Jesus had done. Some of them, no doubt, have been traveling with him since the Galilee. And they know what's happening now. And so they're over the moon. It was glorious. A happy occasion. But not everyone was happy. Indeed, Luke says in verse 39 that some of the Pharisees that were in the crowd or had joined the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. Tell them to zip it. To stop. Indeed, the Pharisees are members of the religious establishment in Jerusalem. They're on good terms with the Romans, the occupying authority 
to allow them limited powers to rule in Judea. But Jesus uh, presenting himself as a Messiah King, as he clearly was, stood direct all of that. Should the Romans deem Jesus' actions a threat to the political status quo? And so Jesus, true Messiah or not, it's interesting their priorities. This happens lots of times with governments. They're not so interested in finding out the truth as much as they are about maintaining power. And so whether Jesus is Messiah or not, he must stop this because of all we stand to lose. But in verse 40, Jesus answers the Pharisees, I tell you, if these were silent, <laughs> the very stones would cry out. The point being, at, at the very least, that the Pharisees' solution to a problem, as they perceived it, wouldn't solve the problem anyway. Because one way or another, Jesus will be recognized for who he is, and Jesus will be praised. And if they don't do it, then the stones on the side of the walls will gain voice and do what the Father would have happened. Which is a truth rather reminiscent of the epistle reading that Godson read just moments ago from Philippians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 5. Paul, writing from prison, writes to Christian believers in Philippi, which is now, modern-day northern Greece. He said, have this mind, or your mindset in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? Jesus. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, a thing to be grasped. I'm God! <laughs> but instead, he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, a doulos, a slave, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in, in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. That's where he's gone to Jerusalem, even death on the cross. Verse 9, And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But even then, at the end of the age, the age in which we now live and the age as we now know it, even then, when Jesus is revealed to everyone for who he truly is, just like on that first Palm Sunday. It will be a happy occasion for some and not so for others. I wonder what will it be like for you? Palm Sunday, a happy occasion, but not for everyone. Let us pray. Seems rather ironic, Lord, 
that it was the most religious people in the crowd that objected to what was going on. Even though it was clear, as people said to the Pharisees so often, isn't this the Messiah? Isn't this the Messiah? Isn't this the Messiah? Isn't this what you've been teaching us that the Messiah would do when he came? Isn't this the Messiah? Well, he may very well be, but he's going to mess up all our plans. And so it is. But Lord, don't let it be true of us. If we have plans, Lord, that are bigger than the plans of the Messiah, they're the wrong plans. <laughs> and give us, Lord, the eyes to see that that's so, that that is a lose-lose situation. He said to us, Lord, he said, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? <laughs> and as we pose this question, so which side would we be on? We already know it. To look at our own thoughts and our own hearts and our own actions, they are the things that witness to where we are and what we would do even if we had been placed in that situation. And we all will be placed in it when he returns and you honor him and he sets up his kingdom and he separates the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares. Lord, may we be on the right side of that. And may we enjoy, Lord, even in this life, the joy that comes from being on his side. Help us, Lord, not to imagine that you're on our side. Help us, Lord, to be on your side, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.